0: Another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. Brennan and Damo back on the show, and today we have a special guest with us, Kevin Broom from Bullets Forever and the So Wizards Podcast. Kevin, what's going on, mate? Hey,
1: how's it going? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Been wanting to talk with you for a while now. Definitely you uh you're it's I don't want to call it hot takes, but uh mm-hmm. definitely very opinionated and, and your opinion attracts a lot of other people's opinions on stuff, so uh definitely excited to, to have you on here and to get talking mm-hmm. with you uh, on, on some Wizards topics that many Wizards fans and just fans in general kind of just have yeah. different perspectives and opinions on. And I'll say, like, at least for myself, like, there's a lot of stuff that uh, you've said numbers wise and stuff. And I've said, yeah, and openly, like, I, I probably disagree with a lot of it. But over time, I think I've come around more to. The, the numbers and sort of your perspective of things um, for different reasons, but uh, mostly just because the results aren't there. Uh, right. And and that's kind of what it's come down to. But I did want to open up uh, this dialogue talking about the younger players, mm-hmm. specifically Rui Hachimura and Denny Abdiya. Now, I will admit in the the year we drafted Rui, I thought it was a little high to draft him. I think that you said he was um, about where you had ranked him. Mm -hmm. And then Denny, I don't know where you stood on him, but I was definitely excited about the Denny pick at the time. But kind of generally speaking, what's been your overall thoughts on those two players? Are they fits with this team? Are they not? How much better you think they can get? Like, just Mm -hmm. give me all of it when it comes to those two.
1: Yeah, so let's go ahead and start with Rui, because he's the the, the the older guy the year before. And um, so with Rui, yeah, I had him basically rated right right about where he got drafted. Um, and I, I would not have picked him. My, my pick there would have been Brandon Clark. Um, the way I wrote that was uh, about it at the time was that it was basically a test for how much risk you were willing to take, because Brandon Clark was a weirdo, right? He was, like a shooting guard size, but he played more like a center, right? And it's like, how does this short arm shooting guard sized guy become like a quality power forward in the NBA? And it turns out just by continuing to do basically the same things he'd been doing, just he, he does them at a really high level. And that's, that's the way it worked with Hachimura. I just figured like the, the shooting and, you know, the, the, physicality would translate into being a pretty good professional player and um, yeah he's he's been kind of I guess probably a little on the disappointing so far that he's three years in and he still like doesn't really rebound very well he still doesn't defend very well he's at least shooting the ball Um, it's just the you know the lack of awareness is still there and so I, I would have real concerns about him going forward just because of really that lack of awareness it's just like if he doesn't have the ball and he isn't taking a shot, it seems like a lot of the time he doesn't really have a sense for what he's supposed to be doing or even that he's supposed to be doing something else. Right. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's pretty much, you know, I was encouraged by his rookie season, which was still, um, I think, well, not quite the best season this base, this season rated in my stuff anyway, uh, about the same as his rookie season, very, very slightly better, which is like very slightly below average. Last season, he was actually less productive according to um, to my metrics. So, um, and then with with Denny, um, at the time he was picked right about where I w- where um, I had him rated. Um, I went back though, and I changed the way that I weighed uh, evaluated um, international leagues. And so because my stat uh, my um draft analysis is completely stat driven I uh, I so when I changed how I handled um international leagues he dropped down into like the 20s um so it, like in retrospect um I I would I would not have picked him so high at the time I was I was okay with the pick I wasn't like super overjoyed with it but I was okay with it and yeah, you know, honestly, he's he's not been what he was he was billed as being, you know, he the whole point forward thing is not really there. You can see glimpses of of what people could imagine, you know, but he's he's got to work on his ball handling, his shooting, his decision making as well. So um, yeah, that's sort of a, a and then and I think you also asked, like what, uh, what's better I think they can get. And um, I have more hope for for Avdia than I do for for Hachimura. I, I, you know, at, at 23, Haji Murk has still continued to improve. He definitely uh, improved his three-point shooting. Um, it's just that what he needs to learn, it seems like it's, it's the kind of thing that he should have learned a long time ago or, or you know, should have developed. And that is just the, the motor isn't there. The awareness isn't there. And I don't know how you get that at 23 at the NBA level, you know. Um, Maybe just because the problem is, is like there's a limit to how much energy a human has, and the amount of playing in like the, at a high level, you're not going to get that in the summer playing summer league or even international ball. You're not going to get that same level of play. International ball is probably the closest he could get, but um, you know, it's a it's a <laughs> it's a challenging thing to try to gain the kind of experience that um, he needs. I think so, and no, I, I just. Yeah, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, and then I was going to say with Odia, uh, it I, it to me it, this op- this off season is a huge opportunity. The the excuse of the ankle and I use that term intentionally. Uh, I'll come back to that in a second, but um, the excuse of the ankle is gone and he, you know, he he went away talking about the need to work on his left hand and to work on his shooting. And so if he can come back with a an improved left hand and with, you know, three-point shooting, even up to league average, then I, I think there's a lot more that unlocks with him. He needs to work on some other stuff in his game as well, like, uh, you know, cutting back on the fouling and in uh, just like, it's, I've mentioned it before, but the overall decision-making, I'm thinking of, of things like, you know, as he's driving to the basket instead of leaping and then throwing impossibly difficult passes to the big man who's cutting to the basket, you know, either taking the floater or keeping his dribble and going all the way to the rim or kicking out to a shooter on the perimeter. Um, But he's got some challenges there with, in terms of passing because he doesn't finish it very well and he's not a good three point shooter. So teams can sort of play him to drive number one. And then number two, they can also play him to, to pass. They can take away the passing lanes and make him try to finish. And because he's not like an explosive first step athlete, um, he's th- those those finishes around the basket are typically going to be contested. So it's um, th- those are things that are being challenged. I think a lot unlocks for him if he can become a good three point shooter. Though,
0: do you so as of for right now, like where would you classify them going forward? Would you say that these are guys that the Wizards need to keep? Or would you try moving off from them if a better opportunity presents itself? But I guess the, the question here is how much can you actually get for them? Because if, if their numbers in play isn't there, it's, it's hard to imagine them getting much of an improvement.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, with Hajimura, you know, there's always the marketing aspect. In, that they, They're not going to trade him before the preseason games in Japan. Right. So that's, uh, I think, pretty much out. But unless they trade him to Golden State. That said, um, I, no, I don't think they're like keepers. I think they're the kind of guys that uh, you'd be okay. I'd be okay keeping them like as I think, I I think they're both most likely to be bench, uh, you know, bench guys. Uh, you know, rotation worthy, but more coming off the bench, bench type. Um, I have a little more hope for Avdi being able to play um, as a starter, you know, like a low usage kind of starter. Um, who can who could be a little bit of glue, defend a little, rebound a little, do some passing, some volume blink, uh, you know, in transition type of thing. Um, it's like I say, especially if he can become a good three-point shooter. If he doesn't become a better three-point shooter, I think he's more like a you know, ninth man type of guy who tends to fall out of the rotation when you get into the playoffs. If you get into the playoffs. So that said, I would package either or both, um, in in the hopes of getting somebody better because with where they're going to fall, I think in the rotation, that sort of like seven, eight, nine level, you can you can find guys in that range without too too much trouble. Um, usually, you can find them like even on rookie deals, that kind of thing, which is kind of where they are. And then, uh, you know, where where I think the Wizards really need help is with getting some high end talent, some high end production at the at the top of the rotation. Uh, so, if you can package up a few of these guys, because they've got a lot of a lot of like eighth men on this roster. And so if you could package up a few of those guys and get like a fourth guy, you know, maybe you're, you're doing a little better.
0: And so I guess, cause I know you mentioned with Denny, like he's a guy that can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, and I think it's good to have those guys on your roster. Right. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, given where those two specifically were drafted, would you call that a success for Tommy Shepard? And how
1: overall would you view his drafting in general? So I would say no. I would not consider either one of them a successful pick, at least not yet. Um, in part because, like Tyrese Halliburton went after Avdia and he's the best player in that in that draft so far. I mean, the the kid that that kid's fantastic. Well, maybe not best. The Lamelo Ball might be the best player in that draft, but Halliburton's right there with him. And uh, you know, he he was sitting there just ready to be picked. And and the Wizards definitely could have used a guy like that. So because I mean if for no other reason then he's he's really good, right? And so he in that sense, no, they, they miss. Now if Fabia becomes, you know, a third starter on a good team, then yeah, which is not out of the realm. You know, like I said, if he if he comes back and he's a forty percent three point shooter, then I think a lot of stuff unlocks for him and he he becomes a much more valuable player. Um with Hachimura, you know, it's it's like he he's been okay. He's been okay. It's it's not that he's like a disastrously bad pick. It's just that, you know, you're not getting a quality starter out of that spot. You're getting maybe a, a solid bench guy. So in terms of how, ob- uh, I mean, uh, Shepard is drafted, you know, I, don't, I didn't have a big problem with the, those picks um, particularly. Um, but, it, you know, in the second round, he certainly blew some, blew some stuff. And uh, I, I still... Have no way of making sense of the the trade where they traded a first round pick to get Aaron Holiday and, and Isaiah Todd. I I still don't get that move. Uh, but before I kick it over here
0: to Damo, I did just have one yeah. final question for you in regards to the drafting. Uh, mm-hmm. I know lately maybe these expectations have heightened because we've seen um, Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado in the playoffs with the Pelicans, but. What's your expectation in terms of being able to find solid talent in terms of the UDFA's or the second round? And uh, be, because I mean, let's be real—the Cassius Winston pick at the, at the time everyone knew was a dud. Um, Admiral Schofield—you kind of maybe they thought he would mold into what Grant Williams is today, and that obviously didn't work out. And yeah. then I was listening to. Um, the the latest believe in wizards when you and Oz were on and you guys or and Matt said you know to their credit like Isaiah Todd maybe isn't the guy that they had taken uh previously in the second round just because he is a little bit longer and athletic, but th- what are your thoughts on how he's utilized uh the second round and how do you sort of manage expectations with like how often should you come away with those guys that are either second round or undrafted and end up being productive players for you?
1: Yeah. It- that's a tough question because this the second round overall is is kind of a crapshoot in the sense that you typically don't expect to get like really quality players you you'll sometimes get them, you know um, but a lot of times the players who slide into the second round who who get picked into the second round and end up being productive, the, the word slide is actually is 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 illustrative in the sense that they're they're really productive at a lower level. And then they fall for, for some like weird reasons, for some, some reason that has nothing to do really with their production. And so you think about like Nikola Jokic, who was a second round draft pick, right? Well, I, I, did, I wasn't running uh, Yoda on international. Yoda is my um, yield draft analyzer. It's my stat-based tool, right? And so I went back and ran numbers on Jokic, using only the data that was available at the time, right? And he graded out like a top five pick. So for him to fall into the second round, it's like, well, why did he fall into the second round? Well, because he's looks unathletic, he's he's was chunky and, you know, looked kind of goofy and uncoordinated. He ran like he'd just been stabbed in the back, you know. And so teams shied away. You think about like Marcus all, another guy who was really productive at, a, at lower levels, you know, international ball, and didn't get picked. I mean, uh, Michael Lewis wrote about this in, um, I think it was in Moneyball. But um, in one of his books, he, he wrote about this, that um, the, the Mark All thing, you know, Daryl Morey didn't draft him in the second round. And one of the reasons he didn't is because his scouts had nicknamed him Manboobs, right? So he bans nicknames after that. But so God- with funny juan blair right gets drafted in the second round even though he again top five kind of pick because he had no acl on either knee um and it just kind of goes on from there i mean you think about like carlos boozer another guy going back a few years who was really successful well why didn't he get picked it's because he was you know a six eight power forward he's too small right um gilbert arenas went late in part because he was crazy but also so because teams didn't really know quite what to do with him now they do but at the time, they were looking at him. Well, he's too small to be a shooting guard, and he's he's not really a point guard. So, what do we do with him? Well, turns out he was like the the leading edge of the leading of the lead guard, scoring one, if you will. So, anyway, um, what should teams be doing? I mean, you take swings, definitely a talent, because in the second round, for the most part, they're non-guaranteed minimum salary contracts. So. If God doesn't work out, you know, Cut him, you know, that's fine. You just move on from the pick. And so um, I, one of the things that I talked about previously was like um, the year they picked, it was I think it was Schofield, the guy they should have picked was uh, Bull Bull. Now, Bull has not worked out as a professional, at least not yet. But that's a guy who is just like super talented. And if he could get healthy and sort of put it – Get his body together and and figure out how to get on the floor in the nba you know you may have a chance at getting somebody who who was uh productive but you know it turns out that he hasn't been able to get healthy enough to stay on the floor he's not strong enough you know there's there's problems there but that's what the second round is for is to take those kinds of swings so you know to to the point that matt was making in that podcast the um, isaiah todd pick is is a bit of a swing. You know, on talent and frame. The thing with that, though, is that they used a high pick, you know, in the, in the second round. They used the first pick in the second round. And they took a guy who has not been productive at lower levels. You know, he, he had not been productive in the G League. Um, and then this season, he was not productive in the G League again. He was actually less productive than he had been. And so it, it, he doesn't really fit the profile of the kind of guy who becomes a successful pick. In the sense that, like, because he—he to be honest, he reminds me a lot of like Perry Jones, a guy who kind of looked good, looked athletic, but when he's out there, he just doesn't really do anything. And so that's that's kind of what Isaiah Todd does. So um, I would say you should be able to hit on some second round picks, and you know, trading back to in in the second round to take cash as Winston so that you could dump Schofield is just crazy. Pick the better player higher up in the draft. Um, obviously, like you said, there was zero chance that Winston was going to be any good in the NBA. I mean, he's little and he's slow. <laughs> there's just nothing. There's not no amount of skill that's going to make up for being too little and too slow for the NBA.
0: Yeah, Damo made this good point. I'm about to turn it over to you here in a second. Um, but, you know, he I think with the Cassius Winston to Admiral Schofield picks, I mean, Damo said, you know, he keeps trying to get choir boys and you build a team like that, and that's yeah. just not how you win. And I think with those two picks specifically, I think that's what he was trying to go with a little bit. But, Damo, I'll kick yeah. it over to you now for any and, uh, feedback
1: or anything. And Well, uh, real quick, to, to Damo's point on that, um, there was a player, that I'm aware of, that the, the wizards were evaluating. He rated high in their statistical models. Um, good, good kid, all that kind of stuff, and they, they they did not draft him. And one of the reasons that they gave before the draft was that the guy was "quote unquote" too street. Um, so <laughs> that's um, that that sort of fits in there. It's like when you're looking for guys, guys with character, with character, choir boys. You know, obviously, you want guys who are not going to get in trouble. With the law, they're not going to do anything, you know, illegal or immoral. But you want guys who are like, psycho-competitive, right? <laughs> you want guys who, who hate losing and will work hard and, and fight to help your team win. And so uh, they're not really getting that with uh, Schofield and Winston or Isaiah
2: Todd. Dom, you got anything?
3: I was just gonna just gonna say, uh, in in regards to just their their uh their draft model, I I wish I could be a fly on the wall to see what they actually put in their model of what they value because it just seems like they for the modern NBA or just just wherever the league is at at the time, trending wise, it's like they're a step behind it. Yeah, you know. And, and they're, they're, they're always late to, they're always kind of late to the show. You know, when everybody's kind of going small, you know, looking for a Draymond, they're playing Gortat into his, you know, mid-30s. Um, you know, when when teams are getting young uh, uh, athletic uh, guards that can shoot it from 30, 35 feet, you know, <laughs> they're, they're, you know drafting Cassius Winston. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like I just wish I just wish they could I wish they were a little bit more transparent about what they value. But I think it's clear they value character over everything else. Um and 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 I guess they feel like they got the best shooting coaches in the world because they keep taking prospects that you have to wish develop a jump shot in three to four years instead of ones that already have one, um, Kispert being kind of the lone exception, um, over the last, what decade now. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this upcoming draft, they kind of push some more, uh, they put more value and importance on, on traits that actually matter, you know, making threes, you know, the athleticism length, um, I hope they put more more value on those things, and I think if they do that, they'll come away with the better players.
1: Yeah, I think that some of what you're 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 talking about there with like they want the character is that they um maybe misevaluating the kind of character that's important, and that is like uh, getting choir boys is fine, but what you need are the the kind of character traits that you need are like hardworking, competitive. Uh, You know, guys who are willing to Mm -hmm. to put in that extra work, the extra time, and you know, toughness. Those are those are the kinds of character traits that you need. Not that that a guy is polite and says yes sir or no sir. You know. (laughs) So, um, but to your point too about the teams like being behind. um, I I did a piece. Remember going back a few years when you know Randy Whitman decided they were going to play fast and shoot threes and all this kind of stuff, and they like taped off in uh, areas in the corner, you know, that were like the high value threes that they wanted and all that kind of stuff. It's like, they were doing that about three years before everybody else. And one of the things that I, I wrote in the preseason is that they're, they've already given away the advantage. I mean, it's great that they're sort of entering NBA modernity, but it's not going to have as much of a, of a bo- give as much of a boost to their offense as you would think, because one teams are already used to defending that, that style. And and two, they were also putting an emphasis on pace, which was, you know, playing fast, which was pointless. It was that's not a thing to focus on. So, yes, they are. They are behind always.
3: Yeah. The the Paul Pierce that power forward thing was like Randy Whitman's, I guess, uh, secret secret weapon that, you know, it it worked against the Raptors. But it's just like, dude, like you should have been did that. Yeah, (laughs) Everybody's been doing that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Kev, I wanted to ask you, now transitioning into some building around Bradley Beal talk, because obviously this is the most hot topic on on Wizards Twitter right now, whether or not they should be building around him. I I guess that it's not even so much, I think, that Wizards fans agree that he's a guy to build around. I think that kind of the point is from the people that are pro-keep Beal is, well, what's the alternative? And so I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on that. Ah, uh, sort of the whole idea of giving him this uh, ten-year veteran max
1: extension—just
0: a- anything you got on Beal
1: in general. Yeah, so I'm very much in the if it was me, right? I mean, I've already. So let me preface that by saying I've already accepted. I understand the team is going to give Beal the max. But they've already made that decision, right? They so right. they want to build around Bradley Beal. I think that's crazy. I think it's stupid, but. That's what they want to do. I like Beal as a player. I think he's a very good player. Um, I do not think that he is a building block kind of player, especially as a 6'3 guard who's going to be 29 next season. You know, they, they give him a five-year
2: extension. The last couple of years of that will be what run um,
1: And, you know, he, smaller guards who, you know, rely on getting to the basket, which is where he is now. Because um, I, I did a piece about his three-point shooting, um, I guess over the weekend. But anyway, sm- smaller guards who rely on getting to the rim to to produce offense don't typically age very well. So it's like the the Wizards are essentially going to be paying for the expensive decline portion of his career, which is very likely to be coming. You know, maybe not this season, although you know in, in the upcoming season, but you know, a couple seasons, maybe he's got one or two like high quality years left and then after that it's going to be likely to be a decline and i would point out that this year was like the worst year of his career really since like he made the leap um after his you know in his fifth year after he signed that um his first max extension so i i don't think it's a good idea to build around him because i think that even at his best he's like the kind of guy you want to be the second or third best player on your team not the best uh, not the best player. i I said, I do think it's a good thing that they, they made that trade to get Porzingis. If Porzingis can stay healthy, he's another guy who's basically same level as Beal at his peak, that sort of second or third best guy. So at least you've got like two guys who are at that sort of all-star level, like good player, you know, very good player level. So you can at least sort of slot things in around them. But it's... I I would not be trying to build around Bradley Beal.
0: So you touched on Porzingis a little bit there too, but I'm also wondering how, what's your opinion on Kyle Kuzma? I mean, he, I mean, I think he had a a good season. You know, I, I wouldn't say it was bad, but I know that you're probably a little bit lower on Kuzma than most. And I kind of get it. You know, the the one thing I, I really like about Kuzma is the rebounding, and that's the one thing I said where okay, we're losing Russell Westbrook. Who's going to rebound for us? And I think he's filled that role kind of nicely. Um, outside of that, he takes a lot of inefficient mid range shots. I mean, he's good with the floater and in the inside game. Has decent touch around the rim. I feel like um, three point shooting, he shoots about average. And I feel like there's a bunch of guys that you can find that can at least give you average three point shooting. So in terms of even if, if if you were or weren't going to build around Beal, how do you sort of view him, and do you think that he's a, a piece that you would keep going forward? Or maybe you say, okay, he had a productive year. Let's try and maybe sell up high on him like he chose not to do with Bretons.
1: Yeah, I, if it was me, I would, I would certainly be looking to go ahead and trade Kuzma, depending on what you can get. I mean, you don't just trade him to trade him, but if you can get something decent then yeah, go ahead and and make the move. So with Kuzma, I I think that you summed him up pretty well. He's got skills. He's got some good size. He's he's not like super athletic, but he's kind of athletic enough. Um, The thing with Kuzma that makes him tricky to include as sort of a core part of the rotation is that he remains inefficient really no matter how many possessions he uses. So you go through his game log, through his career, he's Basically, year after year, about you know roughly eight six to eight points per hundred possessions less efficient than league average. Whether he's using eighteen percent of the team's possessions or whether he's using twenty four percent, and that's relatively abnormal. Most players are more efficient when they use fewer possessions and less, less efficient when they use more. And so the fact that he just sort of remains the same level of inefficient. Kind of makes him a problem because he it, it doesn't make him necessarily like a problem in the sense that you can't play him. It just it sort of diminishes his value a little bit because you can't really rely on him to be like a high level offensive producer and say give him the ball, to, you know, let him create and let him score and give him twenty four percent usage and you're going to get a good offense out of him. And then you can't really cut him back either because he. he you know, once you have those guys who are the, the primary focus of the defense, you can't really rely on Kuzma to hit open shots because he he misses those two. So it, it does make him a little bit of a challenge. I'd be happy to go ahead and, and trade him somewhere else to to see if, um you know, to try to get something different. That said, I'd also be okay with bringing him back. I, and maybe even as a starter, but I wouldn't want to play him like the 36 minutes a game or 35 minutes a game. And um, I think that his ideal role would be that sort of six man coming off the bench, like, you know, instant offense, just score where efficiency is a little less important because he's going up against, uh, You know, his best role is coming off the bench
0: right it's, it's tricky right because it's like for we've been complaining about how they've been committed to what seems like mediocrity for so long and i would hate for them to make this long-term commitment to kuzma only to not play as well as he did uh down the stretch of this past season which i know you're probably still uh You don't even think that it's great, uh, as many Wizards fans do. And if you're West Unsell or Tommy Shepard, the one thing we've been asking for is is defense for a long time. And if you're trying to build around the core of Kuzma, Beal, and KP, well, right there, those are already three guys that are objectively not good on the defensive end of the floor. So uh, I agree with you that if the right offer came for Kuzma, maybe someone who's a little bit better on defense, because I don't think that you need anything fancy from the position. Um, I would at least ask that in return you maybe get like a uh, like a Royce O'Neill type player who's at least gonna give you some spot shooting that's a little bit better than what Kuzma gives you and will give you better perimeter defense. And I know Royce O'Neal had a down season. It was just uh an example, of course, but it, yeah. it truly is a tricky situation when you look at it. And then we're gonna get mad at West Sunset Jr. when the team doesn't play good defense, but your your three main players that are going to be playing 30 minutes plus aren't good defenders. So, right. um, you know, I mean, just how do you – what's the direction that – like knowing they're going to build around Beal, what would you do with Porzingis, Kuzma, like anyone else on the roster? I mean, how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one thing I would probably do, because there's such a premium on, you know, quote-unquote point guards – it is. I I think I would con- strongly consider looking for another combo guard to to pair with Beal on the backcourt and let the two of them sort of share share the position. You know, somebody who's a better shooter and maybe a little more um, able to stand up for himself than say Spencer didn't what he was.
0: So, um, like a D. Anthony Melton, for example.
1: Sure. Yeah. That. Yeah. I, I like Melton. I, he he's a good player. Um, so somebody like that would be fine. I mean, I would also be okay with getting like a pure point guard like. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh at Memphis Tyus, Tyus Jones. Um, he's little. That's uh, the thing with him. But he, he also does, you know, defend a little and he he's a really good passer, never turns it over. Uh, solid shooter too. So in that respect, he you know, he he could be a good guy to have on the floor, having the rotation at least. Um, and then the the thing with Beal is like, do you build around him, like say the way Philly tried to do with Iverson? You do do you just dig into the whole Turn the ball over to Beal, let him run the offense, and you live or die with the heliocentric, whatever Beal can produce offensively, and um, maybe just try to surround him with shooters and uh, guys who can defend. You know, that's a, a viable option. Now they don't have that around him, and they would that would basically involve remaking the entire roster to get those kinds of guys, and those kinds of guys are also in pretty pretty heavy demand. So that makes it a little more challenging as well. Um, And then, so with Porzingis, he's like, he's now reached a point where he's still productive. He's still a good player. His best position is center, even though like he's not ideal inside because he's so, you know, his center of gravity is so high and he's just so long and, and slender that he's, he can be dislodged by more physical you know, stronger centers, but he's also much too slow to try to go out on the perimeter and guard. Agree, um, agree, agree. You know, th- those kinds of guys. So that that makes him a challenge. I think they, they have Gafford, but Gafford's pretty limited in terms of, um, you know, his overall game. He's he's a a rim running, a shot blocker, but not to say that he's like a quality defender. But he's he does block a lot of shots. So, you know, I could see you can you could see w- working those guys. It's just like Porzingis, what he wants to be really, what he's good at is being a perimeter player. You do not want to rely on him run post-ups. I mean, there was a reason why like Rick Carlisle did not run post-ups for him in Dallas. He wasn't very good at it. Now, he was pretty good at it in Washington, but uh, that was a really short, uh, small sample size. He wasn't
2: doing a whole lot of it. I agree. Dom, you got
0: anything? Yeah, I
3: was going to say, you know, just kind of You know, building a team around Beal, and I would add to that KP because you know he has to be good. He has to be at the level that he was in New York to to kind of warrant what the vision they have. I guess Uh, it's funny. Like I I was looking back, I was just thinking about it because you had mentioned the the Brandon Clark, and I was like, he would kind of be like the perfect power forward to put next to KP. I don't necessarily believe in his his talent as, like, a, a top-ten-pick building block, but, like, as far as a role, a specific role, um, depending on your roster makeup, like, he would kind of fit perfect here because KP is not really a bruiser type. Like you said, he has that high center of gravity. You know, he's a center by, by height, but by game, he's really more of a perimeter player. But Brandon Clark is like an undersized center who's super athletic can guard multiple positions and switch out. Uh, and he rebounds at a decent rate. Um, so he would kind of be like the real center on defense. Uh, whereas KP on offense would kind of play out at the perimeter. Um, and, and I feel like that would, he would be a perfect complement to a KP versus, uh, kind of how Cal Kuzma plays, where he's more uh, – plays more like a playmaking wing um, and almost like kind of how you described him, kind of almost like a, a 6'10 Clarkston, where he's kind of a microwave guy who plays with the ball, shoots jumpers. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, he rebounds well. But uh, but just talking – just thinking out loud about the construction of the team and how you fit the pieces around a Beal and KP, you know, a big two, if if you say – Uh, I think they need like a a Brandon Clark at power forward. And then they need a big point guard that can make threes and defend, you know, like Alonzo Ball. And then at the wing spot, they got to have somebody that, again, is three and D uh, that can switch off and and guard and hit and make threes, you know, like a Macau Bridges. It's just the problem is they don't have any of that on the roster. And so they would literally have to, basically keep Bill and, and KP and then get rid of everybody else with the exception of maybe KCP um, and then ship them off to basically reshape the roster yet again. um And I just don't know how they do that in another off season. Like it's more than yeah. likely going to be kind of the same faces coming back and you're, you're going to be kind of fitting square pegs into round holes to kind of you know, make some semblance of a roster that fits around Beal and KP at the top of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's correct. I mean, they they um yeah, that it, it comes back to something I feel like I've been writing and saying for several years now is that they they just don't have enough talent on this roster. And really no matter how you want to play, you know, if you want Beal to play be like a traditional shooting guard, come off of pin downs and you know you have a point guard to throw on the ball they don't have that right so it's 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 like really no matter how you want to play they, they still need they they need just better players period and you know i did a piece right after the season where i talked about like you know where the where the holes are and yeah they definitely need another guard uh, or two they need a 3 and d wing but they they also they they need guys at every position really um so it's uh, that's the challenge for them is the with what they have available in terms of salary uh you know salary space uh draft picks uh they they have to figure out how to put this team together and i unfortunately i think that it's it's uh it's a tough challenge you know the alternative of course would be to change your goals into you know trade Beal and porzingis and kuzma and kcp and anybody else that other teams are interested in and try to just collect some, basically start playing for the future. Um, so that would be an option, but uh, that does, that's not where they are seem to be interested in, in going.
0: I guess, how would you sort of like knowing what we just talked about now, how, how would you view Tommy Shepard's like job security so far? I mean, is this a guy that you don't think he's, He's good enough and you think he should be gone because me and Damo said on the on the last episode that we recorded, you know, we we look at all of his moves and we say, okay, like we feel like we're improving. But then we get to April and it's the same record or or maybe like a a three win difference. So so we're not we're not gradually improving. And I just want to know, like, in general, how you view Tommy Shepard's job. I mean, trades, I I seem feel like they've been okay, um, but it's more of like. Like, we may be improving in a sense. Like, obviously, and I said this on the last episode, you know, would you rather have Russell Westbrook at $40 million or Dinwiddie at, you know, 16 17 You know, the answer is easy, but that doesn't mean that you're getting that much better. And in terms of the, the draft picks, you know, knowing how those guys have turned out, free agency has sort of been a dud, especially when you consider the, the Davis Bertans and Spencer Dinwiddie deals just, I mean, do, do you think that they should fire
1: him? Man, so here's the thing. I like Tommy. I've, I've known Tommy for a number of years. I haven't talked to him in of, since he became GM, but our team president, whatever his title is. But I like him. I respect him. I think he's a good guy. I, I've long thought that he would make a good general manager someplace. That said, I would not have hired him for this job because I thought what this team needed was a culture change, like a complete culture change. And I didn't think that a guy who had been there 16 years was the person who was in the best position to lead a culture change i thought that bringing somebody in from the outside would that person would be in a much better position to lead the kind of changes that i thought the team needed the franchise needed so that said i mean one i think tommy's job security is excellent i don't think that leonis is going to fire him um there were all kinds of rumors i think it was last summer where it was that you know Tommy was just a placeholder for Ujiri, and that the you know the deal was done, and Ujiri was going to be coming to Washington, and uh, instead you know Masai resigned with Toronto, and uh, Tommy got an extension. So would I replace him though? You know you asked that question, and my answer to that is yes. If if it was me, I would, for the same reasons that when they hired him, I I didn't think he was the right guy for the job then and that is i thought they needed somebody from the outside to come in and create and you know to develop a new culture to change the way the team does business um, with Tommy it's just there are too many of the like patterns of the processes that are left over from from Grunfeld and that's inevitable because he spent 16 years working for him as the number 2 guy right the second in command and so he he's going to have learned you know learned what to do from watching and working with uh with with ernie grunfeld and uh so like i said i i just I, I would just be repeating myself at this point but yes i would replace him and uh it's for the same reasons that i wouldn't have hired him in the first place
0: yeah the, i agree with you in, in terms of bringing in an outsider i think that's what everyone wanted and again like you said you know it's not to say that tommy Shepard isn't a good guy or anything but like right now the I think that the biggest regret when this is all said and done with, with Tommy and his time here is I thought that this past off season, when the Wizards found the sucker for Westbrook, I thought that was the perfect time to move on from Beal. And you get what you can for him, and, and you start over, and you go from there. I thought that was the perfect time. But obviously, when you have a relationship with someone for what's going on 10 years now, it's, it's hard to just let that player go and make that tough decision because that personal relationship is there and that's why i feel like he's still here is because he saw the the excellent young man that the bradley Beal was and he's seen him uh get molded into the man that he is today and that's all great but again when you black and white when you look at it he's just not a guy that you build your roster around so i feel like if you had a new guy that Comes in here, looks at the tape, looks at the numbers, look at the the sample size of his career. He's just not a guy you're going to fork over this money to, like they're about to this offseason. Yeah. And I mean, and and they're going to do it, like you said, um, Damo. Do you have anything uh, to finish out on this? Uh, we're going to finish off with Wes Celje Jr. here in a sec.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the 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 mistakes have been kind of repetitive, and and it's kind of already baked into the cake. Like Bradley Beal is not great enough to compensate for the mistakes in free agency in the draft that have already been made. Like if Bradley Beal was Luka Doncic, well you can your top 10 picks don't have to be starter level by year 3 year 4 because he's Luka Doncic. He can carry a bunch of, you know, scrubs to the to the sixth seed, right? Uh, you know, if he's LeBron level or Giannis level, those guys can do that. But Bradley Beal, that margin of error is lower. You have to literally I don't want to say be perfect, but you have to be like Phoenix Suns level where you hit on multiple picks in succession, like three, four years in a row, and then you add an all nBA caliber point guard to it around a devin booker and if if that wasn't gonna happen, well then this was doomed from jump and I think the talent uh uh. The the, the the talent uh, bucket here was just so bare, you know, where we had the Isaac Bongas and the Bryants and we were talking ourselves into them as the starters. And Tommy was just trying to throw stuff at the wall to see what's, what was stuck. Um, and I think now you're finally at a point where you got like normal NBA talent to a degree, but it's it, it's better than what it was before. But it's now the East has gotten better. And you're you still haven't really made a move to kind of really put you into the into the thick of it, and it's on Tommy to have to figure that out. I just I don't have no faith in it because I haven't really seen any returns from the draft picks or the free agency moves. Uh, so we're kind of just kind of stuck in the mud um, unless unless they do something wild and crazy this summer um, via either trading up in the draft or. Trading multiple picks and player to get back another high caliber player, at least on Bill's level, I just don't see where they really go.
0: Yeah, yeah I think that's um, well said. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's close out here with Wes Unseld Jr. So, uh, I, I think. Yeah, we talk about all these errors with the roster. So you look at West Encel Jr. in a nutshell and you say, well, he had probably about the the year that you would have expected. I know that Vegas was pretty good with those odds. I had them in the same boat preseason, but compared to how we started the season and then how we finished, it just left me with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. So, Kev, I I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on how his rookie season went in general. Um, and, and Dama had mentioned last time, you know, it, it took forever for them to hire him when it seemed like he was the guy all along in the process. Mm-hmm. How serious do you think that coaching search was considering they didn't interview, I don't think not one veteran coach uh, every interview that came out. It seemed like it would have been someone that would have been a head coach for the first time. Um, so just how do you sort of view that whole process? And then Wes Unsell Jr.'s rookie season.
1: Yeah. So one, I didn't have a problem with them trying to, go with the, you know, a new, a new head coach, even, you know, first time head coach. And, you know, I thought Wes on was was fine. A long time assistant experienced, you know, good guy, supposed to be a good communicator. It's just, I think every coach who makes that jump needs a little bit of time for you typically is going to need some time to figure out how to be a head coach. And um, because it's a different job, you know, than being the assistant with the, the assistant, you can be, You can be kind of the good cop, the good guy, the friend. And with the head coach, it's a little harder because the playing time decision is ultimately, um, you know, ultimately you have to tell guys you're not going to be playing. Right. So um, with the assistant coach, he can always punt it to the head coach and say, well, you know, he's not seeing this. He's not seeing that. So this is what you need to do to convince. Wes or Scott or whoever. But if the head coach, you know, you've, you've got to own that decision. So um, th- that's always a bit of a challenge. Um, that said, so I didn't really think in the first place that Scott Brooks was like the problem. I thought Scott Brooks, I wouldn't have hired him in the first place. I didn't think he was that great um, at, at at OKC. But I, I thought he was he was okay. You know, he did some things well, did some other things not well. Um, one thing he did in his final season was he did a good job of sort of keeping the team together when there were several. Times that season, where it just looked like the whole season was about ready to go off the rails, and they were dead set for a 20 game losing streak. And instead, they turned it around and actually got up to the eighth seed, which was from where they were had started. It was a pretty miraculous, I felt, especially you know, had two weeks of the season canceled because of um COVID. So, in that respect, I you know, I didn't think Scott Brooks was necessarily the problem, but I was perfectly fine with it, bringing in a you know, a new voice. To To be the head coach, um, so with the way the team started, I certainly understand the the sentiment or the thinking that it's like it it makes the end result feel more disappointing, but I think you know it's the kind of thing though where if they had it done had that thirteen and three streak or whatever it was that they I think it was thirteen and three, right, to open the season. If they had done that in like February and March and they were already at that point, say five or 10 games under 500, there would have been some excitement and people would have gotten, you know, juiced. But then when they went back to losing, I don't think it would have been, you know, such a well, you know, okay, they had a nice little hot streak. That's basically what that was. They just had a a nice little hot streak at the beginning of the season. It wasn't real in the sense that they didn't really have the talent to support that level of play over the course of an 82 game season. And that's what we saw the rest of the way. Um, so I don't think they're necessarily like as um you know bad as they looked at their worst, and they they also weren't as good as they looked at their best. they're you know that in between so in in terms of how I felt Unseld did, I thought he he did some things pretty well, you know he's basically just a you know he's coach he's he knows his stuff, um, he, you know his sets are are fine. it's. Perhaps a little complicated, you know, running stuff to get to other actions. And I just kind of, why not just go to the action you really want to run and just run it, right? Um, so there, there's that kind of stuff on the offensive end, although he did seem to simplify things a little later in the season. Um, and and that might have worked better if they had better talent. And I think that he's like most coaches in that he's going to be about as good a coach as talent. So, you know, he, yeah.
2: on the team, the, the record would have been a lot better.
3: Dom, you got anything? Yeah, I, I just think uh, it, it's hard to be super critical of Wes you because know, he is a first-time head coach, and they took so long to hire him, and they didn't really give him a support staff. Because of that, I think they couldn't give him a support staff because everybody was hired at that point. Kind of the veteran guys that could kind of be the you know kind of the the, the bad cop to his good cop to, mm-hmm. to hold some of these guys accountable um in the locker room because when you got a, a guy like a tres in your locker room and Dinwiddie and you know those guys aren't like they're not, they're not the the choir boys from the sense of of, of where they think they are in the league and, and wanting to be on the floor like they're gonna speak on it they're gonna they're gonna have a passive aggressive type of attitude towards you and you got to be able to you know, deal with that, um, and I just think he kind of struggled with that. And you kind of, you know, it was it was put out there that the the the, the inmates are running the asylum, and I think that's mm-hmm. evident of that's indicative of a first year head coach. Yeah. So yeah. you know, if you had a veteran staff supporting him, I don't think that happens. Um, so you know, th- but again, that that goes back to Tommy Shepard. You know, he went this route. As far as hiring him, you know, that falls on him because it didn't have to go that way. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, especially when if I if I remember correctly, I think Beal wanted a veteran coach, um, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that sounds correct. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, you know, you went against the grain with Beal, um, which I which I understand. And I, but I just feel like they almost kind of went. I feel like they kind of went they kind of went to the other extreme. They kind of course corrected to all the way to the other side. Cause it was like, you know, Scott Brooks was, the, you know, the, the retread with head coach experience. And I feel like they couldn't, they couldn't go back to that again and sell it to the fans. They had to sell, you know, a, a, a new fresh face that was deserving. And then obviously the legacy ties, you know, with the last name, that was something they yeah. could sell. They couldn't go with another Scott Brooks. Like, it's just no way. So um, I understand it. I just wish they kind of gave him more support and mm-hmm. did it quicker.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing is they, they brought back most of the assistant coaches. So it was largely Scott Brooks staff with a new head coach. And, I mean, there, there were some some changes, but they, they did bring back a lot of guys. And one of the things, I think it was um, Osmond Beg who pointed this out, is that they they didn't do was add uh, somebody with head coaching experience and that would have been i think invaluable to um to unsell in that first year you know like steve nash for example i had mike d'antoni in year one and that was surely a big help because d'antoni knows knows everything knows everything that's going to happen and uh, is ready for it you know and so he can counsel N- nash and give him advice and say hey, this is how you could handle but
2: uh, you know, that sort of thing. But there really wasn't any, even that kind of voice in Washington coaches' meetings.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a, a, a lot of good talk for us here today. Uh, before we get out of here, Kevin, is there anything you want to plug, anything you're working on?
1: Wait, what am I working on? No, I've got, uh, you know, check out my, my podcast. <laughs> uh, the, the Soul Wizards podcast. You can just go. Uh, hashtag so wizards and you'll, you'll find it. Um, and then I've got a piece I'm probably going to do something about Beal, uh, either, you know, in the next couple of days, um, looking at kind of the course of, of his production over the course of his career. Cause his, his, his career trajectory is a little interesting because it was basically sort of flatline early, you know, basically right around average for the first like four years of his career. And then he signed the max contract and it was like when after he signed the max contract, he he began playing a lot better. So, um, but and then last year, of course, his production cratered, back down to not as far as it was like his first four years, but um, to the lowest level since then. So that's probably what I'll be writing about.
0: All right. Well, sounds good, man. Well, thanks for coming on, and everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, just as a reminder, in case you guys aren't subscribed to the show, make sure that you are. Leave us a five star review and uh, leave us a comment if you have any comments concerns anything like that my dms are open on twitter and again thanks for listening and we'll see you next time
2: let yeah.